Again, turn to John chapter 15, and we want to pick up where we left off this morning in verse 26. We need to wrap up a couple of verses here in verse 15, or chapter 15, and then we need to get a start on chapter 16, so uh, we'll be looking through uh, chapter 16, verse 4. And tonight we're going to talk about a witness for Christ. Uh, we have almost a strange mixture here in our text, strange at least until we begin to really dig into it. Uh, if you look at the context, it shows us that the heart of what our Lord was saying in these verses uh, deals with the whole realm of persecution. We talked about that very uh, great deal this morning. Persecution which Christians face. Uh, we saw this morning how that our Lord warned his followers that persecution would follow them. Uh, in the same way the world hated Christ because it does not know him, it will hate those who embrace the cross and follow after Jesus Christ. Now, Christians are not to be caught off guard. This isn't something that's supposed to be uh, surprising to us. Uh, you can't say, well, I can't believe how they, they treated me just because I'm a Christian. Well, you can expect it because Jesus told you uh, that it's coming. And that, that's what you'll experience. Paul told Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not maybe, but shall suffer persecution. And I believe our text here points to the even a more important truth, and that is Christians are not to be preoccupied with persecution. We're not to go around wringing our hands and say, Oh my, I'm going to get persecuted. Uh, I can't believe this. You know, and just worry about it and just focus in on it. But instead, we're to give ourselves to being a witness of Jesus Christ and his power to save sinners. Now, no one would dispute that one of the foremost tasks confronting the first generation Christians was that of witnessing concerning Jesus Christ. Uh, this meant declaring their faith in Christ, proclaiming the truth. Uh, you can probably imagine at that time uh, in the first century, of course, Jesus had been going around with his disciples. He would have been uh, sharing truth with the, the, the people. But, you know, this was really something new. Uh, this was something new for the world to experience. And it was something new for these first generation Christians uh, to be declaring their faith, proclaiming the truth of the gospel in a very hostile environment. You know, the very ones who wanted Jesus Christ killed would now become the object of disciples' gospel witness. So how would you witness for Christ when you face strong opposition? You know, most of us would say, well, you know, it's not even worth it. I'm not even going to try. You know, they oppose me. They don't want to hear what I say. They reject everything I say. I'm just, I give up. I quit. Well, I think this passage will help us in that uh, particular way. Surely that is a question which we need answered. How could they witness for Christ in the face of strong opposition? And I think we sometimes have a rather dreamy view of the first century Christians. We consider that they had such great privileges to, of seeing the Lord Jesus firsthand with their own eyes, observing firsthand his miracles, hearing him speak. That was a great privilege. But they also bore a great reproach of Jesus Christ and the attacks that had been leveled at Christ were now going to be focused 
on even a broader, in a broader dimension upon this small, uh, weak band of his followers. And in the face of such persecution, Jesus is giving here his disciples what we call the Great Commission, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations. And the task they undertook had to be carried out in the midst of these circumstances. It was not an easy life. Uh, They understood the words of Jesus when uh, he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. They understood this self-denial. And the cross, as they fanned out of Jerusalem and carried the gospel to the various nations. Now, we may not have the same sort of opposition that the disciples had, uh, but we can identify with them to some degree concerning the difficulty of witnessing to a hostile world. The world we live in today is not a friend of Jesus. Uh, Their tasks seem to be impossible, yet through the provision of our Lord, the the disciples would spread the gospel. And we may be facing an uphill battle in trying to get the gospel to uh, the billions of people that are in the world. Say, I can't reach them all. No, you can't reach them all, but you can reach the one that God puts in your path. And yet the same Lord has given to us the provisions to press on as his witnesses in the midst of a hostile world. And so we must hear the words of Christ to his disciples And you notice here that in these last verses, he says, And ye also shall bear witness. Ye also shall bear witness. Uh, They had a very special witness of Christ when they walked with him and witnessed his death and resurrection. By the same token, it's true that every person who has experienced the saving power of the gospel now has a commission to witness. Uh, It's not left just to the pastor. It's not just left to the teacher. It's not just left to the missionary. It's everyone who names the name of Christ. Uh, The apostolic mantle, if you please, has fallen upon all of us to go forth as Christ's witnesses. Uh, We must not see ourselves simply as salesmen or managers or homemakers or students. We must see ourselves as witnesses of Jesus Christ and his power to save sinners. Who just, you know, we just might happen to be a salesman or a a manager or a homemaker or a student or whatever God's called you, your vocation. uh, You're primarily to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Our vocation is that of Christian witnesses, while the other things we are involved in are merely avocations. So let's see why we can press on as Christ's witnesses. First of all, because the Spirit has come. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. It says, And when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Now, the Greek word here for witness is a word called, uh, that's mat. Uh, that's Martyreo, uh, and it, we get our English word martyr from this word. The word that he uses for witness is where we get our word martyr from. Now we think of a martyr as someone who dies 
for what they believe. Others have died for some ideology, and they've also been called martyrs. But more than likely, you and I think of Christians dying for their faith uh, for in Christ as being martyrs. We think of the, uh, the lions in the uh, Colosseum, and the Christians herded in there, and the lions going up, and uh, people cheering and so forth. We think of that mar- kind of martyrdom. Uh, we think of the martyrdom of, uh, of men and women who said they would not uh, give up their faith in Christ, they would not give up their Bible, and they've been burned at the stake. Those are the kind of martyrs we often think about. The pages are, of history are filled with thousands of examples of Christians all through the ages, from every strata of life, from every walk of life, dying at the hand of executioners or persecutors for their faith in Christ. And when we consider the etymology of this word witness, we cannot take the responsibility lightly. A true witness is one who is 100% committed to the one whom he is testifying of. We need to believe him to the point that we're willing to lay down our life for the cause of the gospel. Now that's precisely what we find here in these disciples. Yes, they struggled. They struggled with facing certain persecutions and possibly uh, being put to death. We see this in a way that they scattered at the the arrest of Christ. When Christ got arrested, most of them just took off. But they persevered and they pressed on as witnesses of Jesus Christ and his power to save sinners. Now, how could they do this? Well, they lived in dependence upon the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so must we, if we're going to press on as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, if we're going to uh, depend upon the Holy Spirit, first of all, we need to know who he is. We need to know who he is. If we're to depend upon the Holy Spirit, we need to know who he is. Jesus identifies him in the same way he's already identified him back in John chapter 14. He was called there the comforter. And then he also calls him a spirit of truth. Uh, There's great significance, I believe, in both these titles or designations of the Holy Spirit. What are the biggest obstacles we face in witnessing uh, for Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, it's probably that old matter of, you know, I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to say. Uh, We're concerned that we may not be able to answer someone's question or be able to speak clearly or authoritatively about the gospel. So we need help. Now, a second obstacle is that we're afraid. We're afraid of what others might say to us or even do to us if we start talking to them about Christ. And that's the most unfortunate and certainly something the devil exaggerates in our minds, trying to keep us silent in this matter of witnessing. So we need help here as well. Now I'm convinced that these two titles of Jesus, uh, that Jesus uses at this point concerning the Spirit are of special help to us in this matter of witnessing. Someone has stated there are 87 names or designations of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And yet the two that our Lord Jesus uses in this text point to how the Spirit enables us to press on as witnesses of Jesus Christ. The word comforter, again, is that word parakletos, which means one called alongside to help. 
It means an intercessor, a consoler, an advocate. Uh, the implication is that we are in need. And so therefore, we need someone, someone of mighty power to come alongside us in our need. Jesus has been speaking of the persecution that follows Christians like a shadow. And with persecution comes trials of varying degrees, but always very difficult to handle those things. Now added to this certain persecution is a command that Christians are to be witnesses for Christ. Uh, And so the Holy Spirit comes right into our lives, focuses upon the point of our need, and brings to us a divine consolation, an encouragement, a comfort, a strength, and direction. So you are afraid to witness because of what others might say to you? Well, do not fear. The Holy Spirit is our consoler, our counselor, our comforter. And that's why Jesus told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with the Spirit's power before witnessing of him. Now, in light of the work of the Spirit, we see once fearful disciples, as you read in in Acts, uh, they begin to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The whole book of Acts gives us an amazing record of the Holy Spirit's power at work in believers to stand boldly uh, before an antagonistic world and proclaim the gospel of Christ. And what God did through the Spirit for those brethren, He will do for you and me as well as we witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we also see here that the Holy Spirit is revealed to us as the Spirit of truth. So you are not sure what to say when witnessing. Well, the Holy Spirit specializes in giving us just the right word of truth when we are dependent upon Him in witnessing situations. Uh, With all the false teaching and the errors that are going on in our day, it's important that we speak truth and we speak it with clarity and with power. The Holy Spirit is the author of truth, uh, the one who has given us the word of God. He can dispel our ignorance by opening our eyes to the wonderful truths of God's word. He can assure us in truth and can bring truth to our remembrance as we offer testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, the Holy Spirit doesn't just uh, give you the words because you've never read it. You've got to read it first. You've got to get to know it. If you never read, you never study the Word of God, and perhaps even put it to memory, the Holy Spirit will not help you recall something that isn't there. You've got to put it there first, and then the Spirit can, can help you. And He's promised to help us to be the Spirit of truth. So often occasions of witnessing and counseling, I've, I have biblical truth come to my mind that is very important for that particular question or the occasion. And I'm thankful for the Spirit of God can lead in that way. In witnessing or counseling, that truth came from the Spirit of truth. That spirit enlivened truth would help to penetrate the heart and the mind of the unbeliever to the point and point them to Jesus Christ as the only Savior and Lord. Now we'll know a little bit more about this as we get through. Uh, he'll teach us a little bit more about the Comforter as we get into chapter 16 and later messages. But we have to know who he is. Uh, he's a Comforter and he's a Spirit of Truth. Secondly, we know 
how he came. Without any further explanation, our Lord tells us how the Spirit came to us as believers. He says that on one hand, after he ascended to the Father, he would send the Spirit. And on the other hand, the Spirit would proceed from the Father. This is an area that's been of great theological debate over the years. Some said that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father alone, not from the Son Others say, well, the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. I believe what verse 26 says. Verse 26, very clear. But when the Comforter is come, whom I, who's I? Jesus. I will send unto you from who? The Father. Even the Spirit of truth, truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And so it's very clear here. I don't know where the debate is. I don't know why these people debate this thing. It comes from Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father. Uh, Jesus does not leave us without an advocate upon this earth. He sent the Spirit, God himself, to indwell us that we might live for him and testify of his power to save. The Father who sent the Son is the one whom our Lord says the Spirit proceeds. For any being to proceed from the Father, that being would have to be God himself. You see, God is not divisible. God does not slough off a little bit of God and then pass it along. That's impossible. It would violate his personhood. The Spirit of God himself comes to man, just as Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to man. And now if you grasp all that, Then you can explain it to me, okay? But listen, we're speaking of an infinite God. There are some things we may not be able to completely explain at this point. I hope someday we can learn that, okay? In heaven. But the point we must see is that the Spirit of God, the Spirit is God, and He has come as the third person of the Godhead to apply divine plan of redemption to this world. He comes, as pointed out here in other passages, to enable us to live and speak as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a third thing here that we need to realize, and that is know what He will do. Know what He do. Of course, if you try to uh, get all that theology uh, sorted out. It's kind of a theological mind-boggler. But Jesus tells us in a very simple fashion that the Spirit will bear witness to Jesus Christ. And I believe this is done in a threefold fashion. First of all, notice the Holy Spirit will testify or bear witness to Christ for the individual believer. That's called the witness of the Spirit. Uh, Paul speaks of that beautifully in Romans chapter 8. Uh, And uh, this is that supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit coming to us and assuring us that we are Christ and Christ is ours. His Spirit witnesses with ours. And for this to be an effective witness of Christ, we certainly need that assurance. We can't go saying, well, I don't know for sure, but we can know for sure. Secondly, the Holy Spirit also bears witness of Christ through Scripture. Uh, We know that the Bible is very clear that it's a a spirit-inspired book. Paul calls it God-breathed. Word of God came by inspiration. That is, it was God-breathed. While Peter speaks of holy men of old being moved by the Holy Spirit to write what is called the Word of God. 
The chief message of the Bible is the testimony concerning Jesus Christ and Him crucified for sinners. The Holy Spirit Himself has given us the Word of God, which in turn tells us everything we need to know or understand concerning Christ and His redemptive work. But the third aspect of this witness of the Spirit actually combines both the previous aspects. This is the work of the Spirit taking the Word of God, speaking it strongly in our hearts so that we can know it is indeed truth and we then in in turn can speak this Word in a witness to others. Now if that sounds difficult to understand, all we need to do is look at a passage in Acts and see how it really explains this by way of illustration. You to notice uh, in Acts chapter 5, maybe uh, it'd be good for us to, it's not very far away, just turn to Acts chapter 5 and notice what it says in beginning in verse 29. Acts chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 29. <clears throat> it says here, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the, a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Peter and the apostles were giving a very strong testimony of Jesus Christ, his saving work. But how did they do this? They were enabled, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit who pressed upon their minds the truth of God. And in this fashion, the witness of the Spirit took on both a divine and a human side. The Spirit witnessed of Christ silently in the hearts and minds of the apostles. And while the apostles witnessed verbally of Christ to a Jewish council. Now, can we press on as witnesses of Jesus Christ and his power to save? I believe we can, but only if we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit who has come to bear witness to Christ. Uh, We're not going out and just trying to do it on our own. We have the Spirit to help us. Usually when I do things on my own, I mess them up. But if I do it in the power of the Spirit... And with the Spirit's help, He can give us the counsel, the wisdom we need to speak boldly for Jesus Christ. And perhaps our greatest hindrance in witnessing is not the fear of the world, but a lack of dependence upon the Spirit. We need to seek His power. We need to uh, seek His power to enable us in witnessing. We need to ask Him to open the eyes uh, uh, of the people that we're witnessing to, uh, to understand the truths of God's Word. Of course, we've got to ask Him to open our eyes, too. To begin with. But we need to plead with him to testify through us of the wondrous truth of Jesus Christ. So let's press on as Christ's witnesses. Why? Because the Spirit has come. Then, notice secondly, because the Savior has spoken. Press on as Christ's witness because the Savior has spoken. Look at chapter 16. We'll get to chapter 16, verse 1. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. 
And these things would they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye shall remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. We're given courage and strength to press on as Christ's witnesses because the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us as believers. But Jesus then offers another encouragement to press on as witnesses. And you notice in verse 1 it says, These things have I spoken. Then in verse 4 it says, These things have I told you. Now he's telling the disciples ahead of time of what is going to happen to them at the hand of the ungodly persecutors. Notice that. He said, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you. That doesn't sound like it'd be a very encouraging thought, would it? But Jesus is trying to prepare them for this persecution. His reason for doing so is to enable them to be spiritually armed for what they will face and press on courageously with the knowledge that they've been walking in the will of Jesus Christ. Now notice... As what Jesus has given to them, what he has spoken to them. First, to prevent stumbling. These things have I spoken to you that ye should not be offended. Now the word offended means to trip up or to stumble. A Greek word there is skandalazio, which we get our English word scandalize. Uh, The implication is that Christ is speaking this word so that they might be kept from turning away from him. Certainly we believe in eternal security, do we not? That when someone genuinely trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they become a child of God, they cannot lose that relationship. But there are times when some people, some Christians, for one reason or another, might uh, stumble. Or they might get tripped up by sin or false teaching or some trial of life that seems too great to bear. Well, Jesus was preparing his disciples for a great trial that was coming into their lives. And that that his death on the cross, and no doubt many of his disciples ran and they turned away. They stumbled at the thought of Christ being taken away from them. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us. But they were not of us, but for we, uh, or for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might not, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But don't you think the disciples, when the disciples were fleeing after the arrest of Christ and Peter was denying and so forth, that even uh, he knew Christ and he remembered what Christ said? You see, Christ was telling them this, says, when these trials come, these stumbling blocks come, remember what I've said. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. You should not trip up. You should not stumble. Now that should, dis- that should encourage us to press on as a witness for Christ. Uh, you may find strong opposition for your faith. But be assured that as a true believer, no one can cut you off from Christ. And so it was given, he spoke these words to prevent stumbling. Secondly, to instill courage. Now Christ tells the disciples what they're going to face in verse 2 and 3. They shall put you out of the synagogues 
That's one thing uh, that's going to happen. They're going to kick him out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you, you will think that he doeth, uh, killeth you, will think that he's doing God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Listen, Jesus was not describing uh, a Sunday school picnic for these disciples. Uh, he let them know they would be rejected, they would be opposed, they would be killed by religious zealots. And what a way to recruit followers. You know, that doesn't sound like a good way to, to, to get them on uh, his team, so to speak. And yet the fact that Christ was has saved us and then warned us of what is to follow actually should give us courage to go on as a witness. Now, could we do less If we've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy by the blood of Christ, can we cower in fear, withdraw sheepishly from the world, and try to keep our lips sealed when the Lord has called us to be his witnesses? We need to take courage. The world may oppose us. It may attack us. It may persecute us. But there's a crown of righteousness awaiting you in the presence of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the Apostle Paul had this very teaching in mind when he wrote those words in 2 Timothy 4, verse beginning in verse 5, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Christ spoke these words to his disciples to prevent them from stumbling. He spoke them to instill courage, but he also spoke them to give an explanation. To give explanation. Why does the world do what they do? Again, verse 3, these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. We can press on as Christ's witnesses because he has told us how and why the, the world acts and thinks as it does toward believers. The world does not know God, nor does it know his Son, our Savior. Now, are we to get angry at the world for the way they treat Christians? Well, we can, you know, we sometimes get upset when we hear about persecution of Christians. I believe that the Lord is calling us instead to have pity upon them for their ignorance and unbelief. That is the persecutors. Have pity upon them for their ignorance and their unbelief. You know, on the cross, as the uh, the cruelest treatment that could be dished out by humans was handed to the Son of God. He did not revile. But remember, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Were they still responsible for what they did? Certainly they were. Was their treatment of Christ excusable due to ignorance? Absolutely not. For God will judge them. And yet we cannot help but see the pity and mercy that Christ showed toward those who crucified him. Maybe... You have someone that you know, a neighbor or someone on the job who ridicules you for being a Christian. You get angry? Do you get upset at that person? Shouldn't. 
should pity them and pray for them without malice in your heart. They don't know the Father. They don't know Jesus Christ and what He did for them. They're heading for an eternal destruction unless the mercy of God falls upon them to save them from their sins. Now, the question is, are we going to be the one that shows them the mercy uh, to those who wrong us and oppose us? We need to do it for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel. And then there's one other thing that he's spoken, and that is to remind us of his faithfulness. In verse 4, But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. Jesus gave a simple little statement that when all these things happen, he wanted them to remember that he told them these things would happen. Why did he do this? To remind them and to remind us that his word is faithful and truthful. He says, count on it. Jesus Christ is true to his word, and his word is true to his character. Uh, This can give us confidence to press on as witnesses for Jesus Christ. First, because the promises of his presence and his power are true and available for us to lay hold of. And there's a wonderful promise there again in the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a promise to lay hold of and lay claim to. If you're going uh, with the gospel, if you're going with the gospel, then Christ will be with you. He'll be present with you. You can believe it. And I promise you there will be times as a witness for Jesus Christ that the truthfulness of that little promise will just keep you going. There's a second reminder of the faithfulness in these words. The gospel that Jesus Christ gave us is true, and we can be confident when we witness of this gospel that we're speaking truth. This isn't something we make up. Not something that just uh, someone else made up and we just kind of thought it sounded good. No, this is God's word. Are you convinced of that? Uh, Do you realize that when you open your mouth, you begin to speak the truths of the gospel to a poor, hell-bound sinner, that you're speaking to him the only words, yes, the only words that can deliver him from his lost condition? Think about the power of God's truth that you have the privilege of delivering to some lost soul in need. If it is the gospel, then it's true, and you can count upon it. Well, all of us, I think, would agree that we need to be a better witness for Christ. Why don't we all, with one heart and mind, consecrate ourselves afresh to boldly witness of Jesus Christ and his power to save? We can press on as Christ's witnesses because the Spirit has come to empower us, enable us to proclaim an eternal message. And we're not alone. The Spirit abides in us and will speak through us. And we can press on as Christ's witnesses because we have God's word. We have the Savior's word on it. He has spoken. He has assured us of uh, his keeping power in the midst of persecution. And reminds us that we're speaking his truth, which alone can bring sinners to the liberty of eternal salvation. So let's press on as witnesses for Jesus Christ in the coming days. Let's pray.